How's everybody doing today? I'm Brian Pruitt. It's an honor to be with you all this morning. I'll bring you greetings from the sunny beaches of Saginaw, Michigan. <laughs> so uh, just to let you guys know a little bit about me, uh, born and raised here in the city of Saginaw. Um, born, yeah, born and raised in Saginaw. I attended Arthur Hill High School in Saginaw. And then uh, I see some of this from me. Arthur Hill? Oh, no. No, no. Oh, you know him. Be sure friends were Okay. Arthur Hill right here. High five. Yes. And uh, then attended Central Michigan University. Yes. 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 Fire chips. Here. Yeah. Bronco. 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 Oh, oh. Bronco. This is going to be a fun week. Another one. Another one. Another one. So I did attend Central Michigan University. I am married to my high school sweetheart. I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Alicia. Uh, we've been married. Uh, we've been married for 28 years. I'm gonna clap for my 28. I know some of you have probably been married longer, but you know, 28 is not bad. 28 is not bad. Okay. So 28 years of marriage. Uh, like I said, we've known each other. We've been babies. We've been together since we were 17, 18. So I've been following her since I was 18 years of age. Some people call that stalking. I call it love. Okay. Uh, we got four kids. My oldest daughter is in her third year at Central Michigan. Of course. Uh, and, uh, and I have a 17-year-old senior this upcoming school year at Heritage High School in Saginaw. And then I had this wonderful idea. I told my wife, I said, have you seen our two beautiful daughters? And she says, yes, I have. And I said, have you really looked at them? And my wife said, I was actually there when they were born. I know exactly what they did. And I said, I got this wonderful idea. And my wife said, well, what's that? And I said, I think we should have more babies. And my wife said, we can have more babies when you start having these babies. <laughs> and I said this to my wife. True story, I said, and my wife's name is Delisha. I said, Delisha, don't make me pray. And my wife says, I don't care what you do. We are not having no more babies. So I prayed. Uh, oh, and I prayed. <laughs> and I fasted a little bit, too. And then my wife ended up having a set of twins. That's the way that works. <laughs> They have twins as well. Our twins go to the school together. So, and she said, Oh, I didn't know that. My wife's a twin too. Yeah, okay. So, they end up having a set of twins, Brian and Diamond. They are 11 years of age. And, you know, every now and then, even at 50, now I walk by my wife and I say, Delisha, don't make me pray. Might be a set of triplets left in there. Who knows? Okay. Uh, so I have four awesome kids. Uh, life is great. Uh, what I do for a living, let me tell you how I make my living and then how I make my giving. Uh, I've made my living for the last 28 years traveling and speaking uh, as a motivational speaker and as a minister, uh, doing a lot of corporate trainings, corporate leadership trainings, one-on-one -on -one coaching, exec coaching. So I've done that for 28 years. Uh, by the grace of God, I've been able to, be, uh, uh, to end up in all 50 states and several other countries uh, in that 28 years. And it's been a joy in my life. One of my greatest joys is just meeting people. Right. I find people very resilient. 
find them interesting, and uh, people just amaze me uh, what they're able to go through and to still be standing and move forward in life with. So uh, that has been one of my greatest joys. So the way I've made my living for years is traveling, speaking, encouraging other people. The way I make my giving, however, is uh, 17, 18 years ago, I started a ministry called Power of Dad, and Power of Dad is a ministry for fathers and fatherless young men, ages 11 through 18. So for the last 18 years, we have had over 1,500 fatherless youth come through our ministry where we teach them 22 life skills that their dads were not there to teach them. What I am bringing to people's attention is that we live in a country with over 24 million fatherless kids in it and a lot of dads that are struggling. So uh, what we're doing is we are making sure that the next generation has the tools that they need to move forward. Uh, this fatherless generation looks like every culture, every race that you would want to find on planet Earth. Uh, and what I have found is this. We've been doing this long enough now where we've watched Many of these young men grew up to be fathers, many of them grew up to be husbands, and they have children now. But we've also been doing it long enough now where we begin to realize and see the effects of fatherlessness, and the effect of it is this. We live in a generation, I have not seen so many atheists in my life. And what has happened is there's a generation of kids who grew up without dads, and now they're saying, you know what, if my, if my father wasn't there, or if he did not exist, guess what? Yeah. You must not exist. Okay? And so that's what we're seeing uh, across the board now. So we believe God has called us to do something about that. Amen? I believe that every kid deserves a great father, and at the least, a really good mentor. We agree with that. All right. We're going to dive into God's word this morning. What you're going to find out about me is that I enjoy what I do. I love what I do. So I'm going to have fun while I do it. Okay? I'm going to have a good time doing it. Um, we're going to go to the book of John. And I want you to go to chapter 5, verse 1. John 5 and 1. John 5. John 5. Chapter, chapter, chapter five. I said at least it's John right now. If you guys are interested, oh, yeah. matter of fact, I'm going to give a few of these away before I start. Before I start this That's morning, uh, one of the joys of my life is I love writing. Okay, so this is my most most recent book that I've written. It's called Wounded Lions. It's called Wounded Lions. Your loudest roar comes from your deepest wounds. Okay, and uh, this is the book that I've just written to God's sons and daughters. To let them know that you've been through the fire, but God can use that fire to, to, to help you be a blessing to others here on planet Earth. What you've gone through was not what, it just wasn't something you just went through. It was something you went through so that you can help other people. Who are readers? I want to give a couple of readers right here. Any readers here? Got a reader there. Got a reader all the way to the back there. Got a, got a reader over here. Hey, guy. If you guys are interested, this week I'll have some over here, and uh, I'm just selling them for ten dollars. If you guys are interested, you can see me at the end. I've got some books over here, and you guys can purchase them. Okay. Uh, John chapter five, verse one. It says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. 
Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered columns. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he began to walk. The day on which he took place, this took place, was the Sabbath. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We give you good praise, honor, and glory this morning. God, we thank you for your presence being here this morning at Bayshore Camp. And God, we thank you that your word does not come back void. Now, Lord, I ask that you begin to walk through every aisle of this room, Lord God, that you would touch our hearts, God, that you would bring healing to the broken places of our lives, Lord Jesus Christ, and that, Lord God, you would bring peace where there are storms this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, Amen. 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 You guys got some big men in this room here, man. Make me want to play football again. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. How you doing? Hey, you got a good haircut. I like that. What's your name? Justin. Justin, that's my brother from another mother. I'm just going to go right there. And we got another big lineman right here. So, yeah, we got some big guys here. I'll take it, man. I'll take it. Got some big guys here. It says in this passage of Scripture in verse 1, it starts off, and it starts off like this. It says, uh, it says that Jesus went. Jesus went. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just get your hands together like this and get ready to clap. Okay? Get your hands ready and get ready to clap. Why is this important? This is important because you may not be chasing God, but God is chasing you. God is chasing you. I want you to understand the beauty of verse 1. It starts off like the climax of your favorite movie. Okay? If it's the sound of music... This is the part where they're standing on the mountain saying, the I've never seen it, okay? I've never seen it, I've never seen it. I'm just telling them what my wife told me. She says, yeah, oh, come on, come on. She says they go to a mountain and they dance and they sing the hills of alive. That's what she says, okay? All right, that's what she told me. All right. I've seen it, it's okay. This starts off like the climax of your favorite movie. And Jesus went. Reality is this. All people may not be chasing God. But according to John 3.16, according to John chapter 5, verse 1, there is good news. God is chasing people. He's chasing people. The best thing I can do if I'm being chased by God is to stand still and allow myself to be caught. Too often, even in my own life, spent many years not just eluding the tackles of others, but eluding the tackle of God. And here's the thing about the tackle of men. They want to hurt you. God just wants to love you. Just wants to love you. So the good news is this this morning. If you are here, I want you to realize something. That God is chasing after you. 
God came so many other times in scripture to chase people. There's some seats right up here in the front if you guys want them here. These are the $50 seats up here. No, no $50? No $50 seats? We'll charge you guys later. We got here early. got here early. God initiated all throughout history. We see God initiating with mankind and chasing mankind. Let me give you some examples. In Genesis chapter 3, he came walking through the garden to fellowship with Adam. God showed up. He came. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, he came to Noah to tell Noah that there would be a flood. God initiated that conversation. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, he came to Abraham to tell him that he would become a great nation. Again, God established that conversation. He came to Moses in the form of a burning bush. God was the initiator. He came to Joshua and said, Joshua, be strong, for I will give you every place that your feet shall walk upon. God initiated that conversation. He gave his only begotten son in John 3.16. God initiated that whole interaction. And the Bible says in Revelations that the spirit and the bride says come. God is always initiated and reaching out to mankind. Jesus is coming and we need to know that he's coming because he loves mankind. Amen. If you believe that, let me see you clap your hands this morning. The story we've read about this morning in John chapter 5 verse 1, this is a story where a man's childhood pain begins to affect his adulthood destiny. Think about that. Because here's reality. Reality is this. There are people who are standing in this room right now, or sitting in this room right now, should I say. And reality is, possibly, your childhood pain has been affecting your adulthood destiny. You live long enough and you know what I'm saying is very much possible. We don't know how this man got this way, what we know is he is this way now. Verse 2 tells us this. It says that he was found at a place called Bethesda. The word Bethesda in the Greek, it simply means this. It means mud and mire. The place of mud and mire. When I read this, and I began to study this out, Honestly, I got like I said, I like to enjoy myself. I read it and I read the place that says a place of mud and mire, and I laughed. I said, man, that is so cool, Jesus. Let me tell you why. Because I've got some muddy places in my life. And maybe you do too. But what this tells me is that if Jesus will meet this man at his muddy place, ladies and gentlemen, guess what he will do for you? He will meet you in your muddiest places. He will reach into the the muddy places of your life and he will pour you out. He's not afraid of the dirty areas of your life. He's not afraid of the muddy places of your life. Most people in society, they are, and they will judge you for those muddy places in your life. But Jesus will not do that. Jesus will reach in, he will step into the muddy areas, and he he will rescue every single time. Here's my question to you this morning. What is your Bethesda? What is the muddy area of your life? Maybe you say, Brian, my Bethesda, the muddy area of my life is pride. I struggle with pride. Maybe you say it's anger. I struggle with anger. Maybe it's unforgiveness. 
You're struggling with unforgiveness. Maybe it's something that happened to you recently. Maybe it's something that happened to you when you were younger, but you've been holding on to it. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. The name of your pool. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's even procrastination. What stirs the water in your pool? There was an angel that stirred the waters of this pool. What gets you going? What stirs the waters that's in your pool? I was ministering to a gentleman in a prison. And God told me, he says he wanted me to go to this man's money place. I was at a prison. The warden says, I want you to talk to this one particular gentleman in our prison. I said, sure. I go to meet this gentleman. He says, now before you go into this room with this gentleman, I want to tell you something about him. And I, my first thought was, you probably should have told me that before. I said, yes. Here's what happens. He says, Brian, he says, the gentleman that you're about to go in and meet with, he says, this gentleman, he's the guy here at the prison. I'm thinking, there's lots of guys at the prison. What do you mean, the guy at the prison? He says, this is a guy that if he decides you that he doesn't want you to leave this place, you're not leaving this place. He says, he's the guy that if he says you die here, it's likely you'll die here. He says, he's been here for 40 years already. He's doing life in prison. And when you walk into the room and you see this guy, he's not this big, large, opposing object at all. But obviously, he has some type of influence. I don't know. I don't even think I want to know. Okay? But I walk into the room, and I remember sitting down, and God, as I'm walking into this room, I'm, I asked the warden, I said, now, is he, are you coming into this room with us? After he tells me this, <laughs> he, says, he says, I'll be on the other side of the wall right here. You go in, right? He's here. He says, there's a button right here. If there's any problems, just push this button. Now, when I get in the room, what I realize is I'm sitting here. The prisoner's sitting there, and the button's right there, right? I'm thinking, yeah, they didn't think this through really well, because if this goes wrong, I can't get to the button. I can't even get to the button. And the one's just standing there. He's standing in the corner like this. Well, again, God's speaking to me, and he says, I want you to reach to his money place. He says, I'm sitting you. This is John 5, 1, and Jesus went. See, sometimes Jesus goes, and he uses us to go. We are his hands, we are his feet, and we go. We bring his message, we bring his word, we are his messengers. I sit down with the gentleman, and we begin to talk. And as we begin to talk, I'm sitting there praying underneath my breath. I'm going, okay, God, you got to leave me here, you got to leave me. Why did you send me in here to speak to this man who's been in here for 40 years? And God said this. He said, ask him about the worst day of his life. I'm assuming the worst day of his life was when the judge told him he's going to prison for the rest of his life. He says, ask No audible voice, nothing going wrong, nothing like that. Just God speaking to my heart. He's sitting across the table and I said, tell me about the worst day of your life. And all of a sudden he began to tell me this. He says, the worst day of my life, he began to tell me about his Bethesda, his money place. He says, Brian, the worst day of my life is, he said, I had this cellmate. He says, the cellmate that I had, he says, this, this young man, he just talked a lot. I'm in here, I'm thinking, man, this guy just talk, 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 talk. 
He said, weeks went by, and this guy just kept talking to me. And finally, the, the young man says to me, he says, you have no idea who I am, do you? And he says, no, I don't know who you are. I just know you talk a lot. And he says, maybe you know my mother. He mentions his mother's name. And he says, yeah, that was my girlfriend before I came into prison 40 years ago. He looks at the man and he says, yeah, I'm your son. Money place. And then the gentleman turned and looked at the young man and he began at that moment to realize just how much they did even look like. He says, I'm your son. He said, my whole life, all I heard was about you and, and all the things you did, how much of a gangster you are. My whole life, I just wanted to be like you. And he looked at his dad, who was now his cellmate, and he says, accomplish my goal. The gentleman sitting across the table from me says, with tears running down his eyes now, I'm looking at the warden in the window, and the warden's, the warden's like this. Because <laughs> he can't believe that this guy's crying. The warden's worked there for, I think he said, for 45 years. He says the guy's been there for 40 years. He says he's never seen him emotional at all. He's crying now. And the guy said it was the worst day of my life. He said, you would have thought it was when the judge told me I was going to spend the rest of my life here. He said it was actually when I met my son who had become my cellmate. When they discovered, of course, that it was his son, they separated them and they had to be in different cells. But here's what I want you guys to understand. As I'm sitting across at this table, this guy's locked away in a prison cell. Nobody can get to him. And yet God taps somebody on the shoulder. John chapter 5 verse 1. And Jesus went. There is no place where he can't find you. There is no place where he will not go. There is no prison door in which he cannot get behind. There is no cell that he will not walk in to find people and to present the love of God to people. Wherever you're at, whatever your Bethesda is, whatever your place of mud and mire is, there is no place that God will not come, find you, seek you out, and show the love of God to you. Verse 3 tells us this. It says that this man, it says that the disabled, the lame, the blind, the paralyzed, that they all met there. I read that and I said, man, guys, this kind of sounds like church. <laughs> this kind of sounds like church. I served in Saginaw on a staff at a church in Saginaw called Grace Valley. I'm the family life pastor there. And I read that and I said, that pretty much sounds like church. <laughs> the blind, the disabled, the lame, the paralyzed. Now some of you would say, Brian, I, that, that, that's just not right. You shouldn't be saying that. Let me just tell you, we are all blind, paralyzed, lame, and disabled yes. in some fashion or form in our lives. I promise you that. Yes. 
Every single person in this room, I don't care how much square footage you live in, I don't care what your monthly checks look like or weekly checks look like, every person in this room in some fashion or form, blind, lame, disabled, or paralyzed in some fashion or form, and if it's not true, then Jesus died for no reason at all. I don't care what side of the tracks you live on. I don't care what color of skin you got. The truth is, blind, lame, disabled, paralyzed. That's why Jesus died for all of us. To heal, deliver, and fix every single one of us. But here's what we do. We tend to wear masks. And because we wear those masks, it's difficult to find healing. Let me tell you about the truth is this. Every one of us in this room, we limp just a little bit. We all limp just a little bit. We limp emotionally, shall I say. And if anything like me, it probably limped your way into the room. And it looks like this. And here's what human beings tend to do. And particularly when we don't know people, we try to hide these limps. Nobody wants to expose what's been broken in their life. Nobody wants to expose a disability emotionally or physically or spiritually or mentally in their life. You want those things hidden. That's what we call our personal business. And yet, if you know anything about God, he loves getting in people's business. He has a problem. He thinks he's God. Guess what? He's God. He is. Let me tell you, if I can be honest, because I don't believe you can help people unless you're transparent. I show up at the camp, I, I meet, meet you, Kendall, and guess what? I, I limp a little bit. I limp a little bit, but you know, my whole life, you know how I've been taught to train to hide my limp? All right, if you stick your chest out a little bit. You show your biceps just a little bit, you know, mostly it hides your limbs. People get distracted. Sometimes we hide our limbs by, look, look at what I'm driving. Look at what I live in. Look at where I work. Look at my life. It's all, some of it's just camouflage. God's interested in your limbs. What happened to you? What caused this limb in your life? Kendall mentioned, I walked up to some of you guys and I said, hey, how, how you doing? <laughs> oh, boy, I'm limping just a little bit. I got to make sure that I hide my limp from people when I meet them here so that they don't think I'm crazy. Okay. <laughs> this is what we do. Sometimes we walk into rooms. It's funny I, because I try to speak so often. I walk into rooms and I can watch people walk in and, and you'll see them just cold. <laughs> and I go, look, I go, look at my this now. It's just not how people have lips. We all do it. And we all have a lip. Let me tell you how I got my lip. Here's the reality of lips. We are all blind, lame, paralyzed, disabled, in some fashion or form. And what I've learned in my lifetime is that only makes me human. Doesn't make you weak, it makes you human. And it's okay to have a limp as long as you're limping your way to the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. That, that, that was 
of the man who had the man who had come before him. Instead of treating my grandmother Rose like the beautiful Rose that she was, he began to beat her as well. He would beat her till she would fall to the floor in convulsions, and after he was done beating her, he would begin to beat his children. One of his children was my father, James. My dad made a my 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 grandmother made a very important decision. She decided to get her children out of a tough situation. She escaped to the city of Detroit, and just when it looked like life was getting good, my grandfather decided that he would hunt her down and fire his children. In the city of Detroit, my grandfather, when he found them, he showed up with a gun. And that day when he found them, my grandmother sent my father, his brothers and sisters, to hide in the bathroom, and as they hid in the bathroom, my father clutched the mouths of his younger brothers and sisters because he was afraid that they made one sound, one peep, one murmur, that the man that they called dad just might come to the bathroom and take their life. On the other side of the bathroom door, there was a sound that changed my family's life forever. And here's reality. Some of you sitting in this room today, there have been sounds that have even changed your life. Some of them were positive signs. Somebody telling you, you can be anybody you want. You can do anything you do. Jesus loves you. You have a purpose and a plan for your life. Some of you, it was a sign of negative things being said. You'll never be anybody. You're not good enough. Too fat, too skinny, too this, too that, just like this, just like that, tearing you down. 
You've struggled with it your whole life and it's caused you to limp even in your adulthood or to be stuck at the pool of Bethesda like this man, stuck at a muddy place. And the Bible says he was stuck there for 38 years. Question for you, how long have you been stuck at your pool? Some of you would say, Brian, I've been stuck here for five years. Brian, I've been stuck here for 10 years. Brian, I've been stuck here for 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. The sound that changed my family's life forever was the sound of a gun going off, the sound of my grandmother's body hitting the floor, and the sound of my grandfather walking out of the house. That day, my father, his brothers and sisters came out of the bathroom and they began to clean their mother's blood from the floor. And as they did so, my father made a promise to himself. He said, when I grow up, I'll never be like that man. Sounds like the same promise his father made. You know what I have discovered? I have discovered that in my travels, and as I have grown into being a man myself, that this is a statement that many people have made in life, and particularly when we were kids. When I grow up, I'll never be. Have we realized that we have grown up? And the question is, what have I become? I'm grown up now. Did I keep my promise to myself that I said? My father made that promise. He could have been the hero of the story. All he had to do was make better choices than one generation that made before him. But my dad made horrible choices. Bad choices when it came to drugs. Bad choices when it came to alcohol. Bad choices when he decided to physically hurt and harm his family. And my mother decided to make another wise decision, as my grandmother did, get me and my sister out of a very bad situation. And let me tell you something. What it left me was... It left me an 18-year-old, all-state football player, homecoming king of my high school, broken soul, broken soul. My mother did the right thing by getting us out of a tough situation. But life left us with a limp. It left us with a limp. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was on the verge of taking my life because the limp was too much. Which was interesting because I was a star athlete, and yet reality was just a broken person. Just a broken person. I get in my I go to my high school to see my two best friends for the last time because I have now made the decision I do not want to live anymore. I'm on the verge of taking my life, and here's why. Bad decision, but it was where I was at at 17, 18. My thought was simply this. I do not want to grow up and become like the men who were in my family, and I don't know how to stop that from happening. It's been happening for four generations. So the, the roadmap is I'm born, I grow up, I become a monster. I don't want to be a monster. I don't know how not to become a monster. So the only thing I know to do is to just kill the monster. But how many of you know we can thank God for Jesus? John 5, 1, and Jesus went. He showed up. 
I remember sitting in my room in Saginaw in the dark, and I said, God, if you're real, please make yourself known to me. I was the man sitting at the pool of Bethesda, stuck there for at least 18, 17 years at that point in time, in a muddy place. How do I get? I didn't even create the mud. Some of you in the room know what that's like. You may even be in a situation now where you go, I didn't even create this muddy place. It's been passed down from generations. It's generations of Bethesda mud. I go to school to see my two best friends. On my way out the door to go home to take my life, there's a young man studying on my back door. I wanted to hurry up and get home and take my life. I said, would you please give me a ride home? He says, yeah. He smiles. He said, yeah, I'll give me a ride home. I get in his car. He cuts on this loud Christian music. And I'm thinking, wow, my life is horrible. Is this the last song I'm going to hear before I die? <laughs> what is this? What is this music, right? True story. He turns the music down. He turns to me and looks at me. And he says these exact words. John 5, 1, remember, and Jesus went. You may not be chasing God, but he's chasing you. He turns towards me and he says, Brian Pruitt, God loves you. And Jesus Christ has a purpose for your life. He has no idea he's driving me home and I'm about to take my life. He doesn't even know my story. He knows nothing about my net. And yet he's tur- yet he turns to me and he says this. And you know what my response was? You would think it would be, oh my God, Jesus, I need you. My response to him was, shut up and take me home. That was my response. He says, I will, but I got to make a stop for my mother. Makes a stop for his mother, gets back in the car, and then looks at me again. Brian Pruitt, Jesus Christ loves you, and God has a purpose and a plan for your life. I said, yeah, will you shut up and take me home? He says, yeah, but I got to make a stop for my grandmother. Makes a stop for his grandmother. True story. Gets back in the car, says, Brian Brewer, Jesus Christ loves you, and God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And I said, will you shut up and take me home? And he says, yeah, but I really need you to know Jesus Christ loves you. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he had no idea what I was headed home to do. He had no idea I had been calling out on God. But it's what I'm telling you. John 5, 1, and Jesus went. You don't have to be chasing him. He'll start chasing after you. He invited me to go to his youth group that night. I went to his youth group. I don't remember what the youth pastor talked about. I just remember getting on my knees and saying, God, if you can take my life and make anything of me, if you can take all the broken pieces of the generations of my family and give me a different story, make me the turning point of the story, I promise you I will serve you all the days of my life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here I am. Come on, let's go. So when I say to you, at the beginning of this thing, I've been married for 28 years. You go clap for my 28. <laughs> because I know how the story should go. I should be number five in a line of in a line of men who when I walk into my home, my wife will be tormented, but she's not. Praise God. Praise God. She's loved and loved dearly. I should be number five that when I step in my home. According to statistics, my children should be terrified, but they're not. 
with their love and love bearing. I, I am walking proof of what God can do when one person in a bad situation says that I get to choose who I want to be in life. My past does not determine my future. And I choose Jesus. And I choose to rewrite the story because God has a purpose and a plan for everybody's life. Amen. This story continues to go on. It says, one at the pool in verse 5. I just want to stop there for a minute. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't give this man a name? Just says, one at the pool. We don't know who he is. He does not have a name. And I believe that God did that for a reason. Let me tell you why he did that. I believe he did that because he wanted us to put our name there. Put, put your name there. And Brian Pruitt was at the pool. Whatever your name is, put your name there. At the pool. In other words, God wants to come to you. He's the initiator, and he will change your life. As I stated, for 38 years, this man had been stuck at the pool. Question is, how long have you been stuck at yours? Today, if you will allow him to, just through prayer, I promise you, he can move you forward for wherever you've been stuck at in life. And here's the funny thing about life. Life has a way of getting you stuck at many places in many ways. Let me give you a few ways it can happen. The loss of a loved one. Family member, son, daughter, wife, daughter, child, grandchild, and you can find yourself stuck. Let me give you another one. How about divorce? It can get you stuck at a pool. Nobody says I do knowing or believing that it's going to end that way, but it can be so hurtful and it's hard to go past those things. The loss of a job. And I gave 30 years of my life to that company. And this is how they treated me at the end. And if you're not careful, you no longer work there, but you're stuck there. Life ain't fair. We all know this by now. Life is difficult. Life is hard. But you never want to get stuck at the pool. And you never want to find yourself wandering in the wilderness like the Israelites forever. God created you to enter into a promised land. God created you to do exactly what he told this man at the end. He finally makes it to the pool. And here's the statement that is made to him when he gets to the pool. Jesus asked this man a question that you think would be strange and weird. He says, do you want to get well? well what kind of question is that, Jesus? Aren't you the Messiah? You're telling me you're the Messiah. You're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I've been stuck right here for 38 years, disabled, paralyzed, and lame, and you're asking me if I want to get well. Hello, Jesus. What kind of question is that? Of course I want to get well. You would think it's a stupid question, but I got to tell you, it's not. 
And here's why. Because the truth is, and I know this from my own personal experience, sometimes we get so comfortable with our disability, our emotional pain, the things that are trauma that has happened in our lives, that we don't even know who we are without the trauma. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm angry. I wouldn't know who I was without anger. It becomes your identity. Yes, I'm bitter. I wouldn't know who I was without bitterness. Yes, I'm broken. I wouldn't know who I was if God healed me. It's interesting that he would ask him, do you want to get home? Of course I do. Are you sure? Sometimes we hold on to things like what happened to us is who we are. And I've come to say this morning from my own personal experience, what I've had to learn in my life is that what happened to me is not who I am. That's just what happened to me. And by the grace of God, what I've discovered is I'm bigger than what has happened to me. I am not what happened to me. I am bigger than what has happened to me in my life. And so I have to ask you the same question that Jesus asked this young man. Do you want to get home? And if so, it's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. I can hear this young man saying to Jesus, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I want to get home, but before I get home, let me let me say this to you. Let me tell you what happened to me, Jesus, when I was four years old. And Jesus says, I, I, I know, I know what happened to you when you were four. Okay, well, let, me, well, let me tell you what happened to me when I was seven. And when I was seven, they did this to me, and Jesus says, yeah, I know, I know what happened to you when you, when you were seven. It's not that I'm saying that because it doesn't matter to you when you happen when you're seven. I'm telling you, I'm Jesus, and I know. Okay, Jesus, but what about when I was 12? You understand, God, my, my parents were out and so it only makes sense that I'm an alcoholic as well too. And Jesus says, I, I know what happened and I know what your parents were. But do you know you have a choice? You, you know, you can choose in this life. The past does not determine your future. You do know that I've come here into your muddy place to set you free from this whole thing right now. Okay, but what about when I was 15? And, and Jesus, let me tell you about when I was 18. And Jesus, let me tell you about when I was 20 and, and 25. And, and, and Jesus says, I know. But Jesus, what about that time when those people touched you inappropriately and it became the family secret? Some of you say, oh, Brian, do you really have to go there? Hey, listen, I don't leave my family to play games with nobody. When I leave my family to go speak somewhere, I ask God to help me and use me to set people free. Because I know what freedom looks like. Some of you have lived with secrets your whole life. And he knows. And all he's saying is this. Do you want to be free? Then it's time to let it go. And as soon as the man said, yes, I want to be free, Jesus said these beautiful words, and they mean something near and dear to me. He says, then get up, take up your mat, and walk. If you were looking for a three-point sermon this morning, there you go. Get up, take up your mat, and walk, and chew on it all week. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. 
He said, brother, it's, it's hard to get up, brother. I've been laying on the mat for many years. I mean, it's just difficult for me to get up from this place. Now, let's talk about a real movie now. Uh, we're not talking about the sound of music. How about Rocky? Let me see your hand. You see Rocky? Yeah, now, I have seen this. I've seen all the Rockies now, right? Okay, right? Now, my wife won't watch Rocky with me, but, right? I hear now the room listening to the sound of music. Favorite scene in Rocky. Rocky's fighting his enemy. He's taking punches. He falls to the mat. Referee jumps into the scene, starts counting over Rocky because Rocky's down for the count. One, two, three, four, five, six. The cameras go from the inside of the ring to the outside of the ring, and on the outside of the ring is this beautiful lady, and her name is Adrian. And Adrian looks at Rocky and she says, Rocky! That's my best agent's voice. <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's go, right? Let's get Adrian's voice. Agent stretches out his glove. Rocky stretches out his glove towards Adrian and says, <laughs> You guys remember this scene. See? See? You remember this much more than you remember the song of music. <laughs> the referee keeps coming. Seven. Eight, and right around eight, something happens. This music starts to play. Silliness. My wife is not here to stop me. <laughs> I can see her face right now, though. I'm so <laughs> you're, you're embarrassing your mother, and she's not even here. <laughs> you know, my wife, she might do that, right? So, so here's the key. When that music starts to play, something happens. Rocky starts grabbing the ring ropes. He pulls himself up. And he stands to his feet. And his enemy who just knocked him down sees something that would cause fear in anybody. He sees the person that he just knocked down and took out. He just gave him his best shot. He sees that person standing back up to his feet. This is what it means when Jesus says, then get up. Then get up. I know life has knocked you down. But don't you dare allow life to do a 10 count over you. The music is playing this morning. And I don't think Rocky got up because of he had the strength on the inside of him to get up. I think Rocky got up because of who was on the outside of the ring screaming for him to get up. Sometimes you get up for others. Who has grandchildren in this room? Raise your hand. Sometimes you get up for others. Who have children in this room? Raise your hand. Sometimes you get up for others. I don't even know at 50, 
at this point, if I get up for myself anymore, I, I think I get up because I'm fighting. I know I'm getting up because I'm fighting for my kids. I don't have grandkids, but I believe I'm getting up fighting for a group of people I have not seen yet. It's time to get up. It's time to pick up your mat, and it's time to walk. Quickly, what's a mat? A mat typically is a place we've been laying a long time. You got hurt there. You got broken there. And even though sometimes our body, our bodies grow up physically, there are certain areas in my life, even though I'm 50, there are certain areas in my life, if you hit the right button, you're going to find 15-year-old Brian. Okay? He'll pop out on you. But you know what 15-year-old Brian doesn't do well? He doesn't lead a family well. He's not a good father. He's 15. He's not responsible. He's 15. And what I learned about people is this. Somewhere in everybody you meet, no matter how old they are, no matter how great the hair, there's a seven-year-old in there somewhere. There's something possibly happened to him. There's a 14 in there somewhere. And something possibly happened to him. And reality is this. As adults, I have to bring the younger me to God and say, God, you got to heal little Brian so he can be a dope Brian who leads a family, who challenges families, who brings healing to people. Last but not least, I told you this three times. Didn't I tell you that? Three times I usually get my conclusion. Is that the third conclusion? I'm not preaching, right? Here. Three times. Watch. This is two and a half right here. <laughs> I forgot to tell you about that part. After two, I really uh, squeak a mile, okay? <laughs> Get up, take up your mat, and walk. What does walking look like? Sometimes it looks like this. I got four kids living in the You got kids. Here's what I realized. It's okay. This is okay. All my kids are seeing me doing is walking my way, even limping my way if I have to, to the cross. Come on, kids. Come on, grandkids. I got to lead you here because I'm not going to be here forever. And I'm going to leave a different story than the one that was left for me. And I know you are too. And some of you are carrying on a beautiful legacy that was left for you. Your biggest battle of fear is, man, I hope I don't know what was left for me. Thank God somebody left something beautiful for you. Thank God. And if they're still alive, you call them and say, thank you for what you left. Thank you for what you showed me. Get up. Take up your mat. And walk. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been great being with you today. Let me pray for you right quick. Father God, we come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise. I want to say this while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I feel like I need to do this. I want to give what I call the world's biggest apology. So heads bowed, eyes closed. Some of you have just been waiting your whole life for somebody to say, I'm sorry for what happened to you. I'm going to give that to you right now. 
I'm sorry that I broke you. I'm sorry for how I spoke to you that crushed your spirit. I'm sorry that I never told you that I was proud of you. I'm sorry for all the times I disappointed you and let you down. I'm sorry for the words that crushed every dream on the inside of you that have left you struggling at times, even as an adult. I'm sorry for not being able to keep our family together. I'm sorry that I passed away. Some of you are angry with people who have passed away. And believe me, if they could be here, they would be. But life happened. I'm sorry for missing things that were important to you. I'm sorry for not telling you who you were and allowing the world to come and tell you what you were and who you were. I ask you to forgive me for what I've done and ask me to forgive me for the things that I didn't do that you expected of me. I ask you to forgive me for not just being imperfect but at times being just flat out irresponsible with my words with my actions. Now, God, I ask you to heal my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord God. We want to get up. We want to take up our mats. And we want to walk. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you all. Next set of studies start at 10:30, so you've got a nice long break before your next study. Uh, Brian.